Welcome to the Empower Podcast by Mitchell. Today we're going to be talking about formularies. It's a hot topic as lots of states are looking at this and trying to decide should they have a workers' comp formulary. We're joined by Brian Allen, our VP of Governmental Affairs here at Mitchell. Brian, welcome. Well, thank you. Shelley's good to be here. Brian has worked with uh, states and legislatures all across the country on their formularies and how they move ahead on that program. So let's start at the basics, Brian. What is a formulary? So a drug formulary in, in, work, in the workers' comp world, and I think it's similar in the group health world, a drug formulary is typically a list of medications that um, they would be a, like a preferred list of, mm -hmm. of medications that can be prescribed without a whole lot of difficulty or challenge. Typically they are pre-approved pre so you can prescribe them without any kind of authorization. And then they have other drugs that may require uh, authorization. And then they have um, some drugs they don't really allow at all, which would be experimental drugs or drugs that aren't FDA approved. Well, that makes sense. And why do people use them? Well, drug formularies um, are used for a couple of different reasons. I think, I think in the work comp world, primarily they're used to make sure that injured workers getting the correct care. Mm -hmm. um, in the universe of medications, there's, there's you know, thousands and thousands of different kinds of drugs out there that can be prescribed. And oftentimes physicians aren't as well versed in what each of those different medications do and how they treat different kinds of injuries. And so what a drug formulary does is really tries to help guide their prescribing practice so that they're prescribing the right medication for the injury that the injured worker has. The other thing is that a formulary can do is it can help manage cost. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of medications are very, very expensive, and oftentimes there are other uh, less expensive generics or less expensive alternatives that can be used. And, and in some cases, we see some areas where compounded medications or other things that aren't necessarily FDA approved or tested for efficacy, but can be quite expensive, the formulary can help control some of those too, to make sure that an injured worker, if you're gonna get, if you're gonna spend money on a medication, you wanna make sure it's gonna be a medication that actually will work, and it's not just sort of a superfluous or uh, sometimes what you might call a, a defensive sort of practice in medicine where you're prescribing a lot of different things, hoping one of them will work. We're really trying to narrow down on, we know these are the things that will work, the best evidence uh, tells us this, and th these are proven methods, and so we're trying to direct the physician to prescribe those things. And the formularies are actually put together by physicians, is that correct? That's correct. So there's, there's yeah, and, and there's, so there's two, two kind of major commercially uh, available formularies that are sort of pre-done for workers' comp, and they are based on years of, of medical science. Uh, they're really based on the best medical evidence. They've been reviewed by doctors, so they're peer-reviewed, so physicians have actually looked at these, pharmacists have looked at these formularies, and they have kind of given them their stamp of approval saying, yes, these are the right medications for these injuries. And so it's all based on medical professional evidence and judgment. So, and then the states that do their own formularies typically have a pharmace pharmaceutical and therapeutics committee. And those committees are typically comprised of pharmacists and doctors, physicians, who work with injured workers in those jurisdictions, and they come together and they decide which medications end up on the list. And so it is done by physicians. I mean, there's, sometimes there's, this, a, 
this notion out there that insurance companies are doing this just to save money. The insurance companies don't develop these. It's actually physicians and uh, pharmacists. And then the states adopt them, not an insurance company. So it's the states that actually say these are, these are the things that we've decided are right for our system. And in these cases, it's workers' comp specific, right? It's not a general formulary. Right, and I think that's the, that's a critical distinction, Shelley. I'm glad you, glad you mentioned that because there are formularies that are used in Medicaid. There are formularies that are used in, in commercial health plans. But work comp has a specific formulary that's designed to be the best medications for an injured worker. And the outcome expectations are different. An injured, an injured worker, the goal is to try to return them to full functionality or at least to the, the best maximum medical improvement that they can have. In the group health world or in Medicaid, sometimes the goal is just to get people to stop complaining. And those are kind of like two different standards. I mean, you really want, I mean, in the work comp space, the, 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 the trade-off for the injured worker in the work comp system is that we're going to try to get them back to the best health possible. And so what we try to do with the formularies is make sure we're getting the right medications that, are, that will move to that kind of an outcome. That's fantastic. And so many states are looking at this. Why is this coming up? Why is this the 2018 hot topic? Well, I think there's a couple of things driving it. I think primary, a lot of what's driving it right now is the opioid crisis mm -hmm. and, and states not just in workers' comp, but just in their healthcare systems at large, are trying to figure out how do we get our head around this opioid issue. Mm -hmm. It's particularly important in workers' comp because a, such a high percentage of injured workers receive opioids because generally it's a traumatic injury that, that lands them in the work comp system to begin with. You know, they got sure. their hands smashed or their leg hurt or what have you. And so typically you'll see opioids prescribed in that, in that uh, situation. And I think the work comp, and I'm not sure what the exact number is right now, but it traditionally runs around 50% of the injured workers who get hurt end up with an opioid. Wow. And if you look at in the commercial health world or in the Medicaid world, it's a much, much, much smaller percentage. So the attention on opioids and work comp has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so the formularies are designed to kind of get at that issue and try to figure out how do we keep the injured workers off of opioids that we know once they get on them, it's going to prolong their time off work. I mean, there have been numerous studies now that have been done, and all of them will demonstrate that if an injured worker gets on a long-term long type of an opioid, there, it increases their time off work and increases cost of that claim considerably. So to keep them off of that so they can get back to work more quickly is, is, is a positive. I think the other thing that fuels it is that there has been a lot of inflation on drug prices in general. Um, even in the generic world you've seen uh, over the last few years, it's, it's tapered off a little bit this year, mm -hmm. but in past years we've seen some pretty significant generic inflation where you've got a multi-source generic and several manufacturers manufacture it, but yet all of them have been raising their prices for you know reasons that we're not completely sure of, but it's happening, so we have to adapt to that. I think the other thing is that you have a lot of new brand medications coming out that are very, very expensive, and um, a formulary can help control that. So there are some brand medications that are actually two generics that have been put together to create a new brand drug. Well, it doesn't really make sense to pay $1,600 for that if you can get the two generic drugs together and take them at the same time, and it's $100, yeah. right? So the, the formulary helps guide some of that practice as well. And um, you, you mentioned statistics. There are a few states that have come out with some fantastic results. Do you see that fueling this uh, run towards oh, formulary? Yeah, no question. I mean, I think, so in 2011, 
Ohio did a formulary, and their formulary is a preferred drug list, and it's something they kind of developed just for Ohio, so it's their unique drug list. And they launched that and had some pretty early good results. Texas adopted the ODG model, and they, uh, one of the things that Texas did that I thought was absolutely brilliant is that they did a data call before they implemented the formulary on drug spend. So they had really good baseline data. And then they've done periodic data calls since they've implemented the formulary to kind of track the results and track the progress. Mm -hmm. And they've, Texas has shown consistently positive results by implementing the formulary. They've reduced, in, in Texas they use, what they, the ODG has what they call Y drugs, which are preferred medications that can go through without pre-authorization. Y meaning yes. Y, y meaning yeah, that they're, yes. Right. And then N, N doesn't mean no, N just means it's not a preferred drug. Mm -hmm. And so the N drugs require pre-authorization. Well, and the N drugs are typically drugs that we've seen have proven to be problematic in the long term. Sure. And so in Texas, they saw an 80% reduction that has been sustained over time since the implementation of the formulary of, of N drugs. Right. In Ohio, the early results, results were, were good, but just last month, they re, they put out a press release and they are talking now that over the since 2011 till to now they have reduced opioid dependence by 59 percent wow which is significant and that's wow. as a direct result of the formulary bolstered by some of the other things they've done to help control opioids but the formulary was the primary driver of that so those kinds of results are hard to ignore and especially if you're in a state that's dealing with an opioid crisis which um, we are nationwide. And you think about, boy, if I can cut that in half, mm -hmm. that's pretty significant. And I mean, I think, I don't think anyone would feel bad if we could cut opiate overdose deaths in half in this country. That would be, you know, thousands and thousands of lives saved. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty powerful statement. So that's why so many states are looking at it. I know you're working with a couple states to as they go through that process. Maybe can you share sure. some insights? Oh, yeah. So yeah, and I think and I think you're right. I mean, I think I think if the result had been it was a five percent difference, it like, ah, okay, great. Mm -hmm. But when it's fifty percent, that's a significant number. When it's eighty percent, like they had in Texas, of reducing those, some of those medications, that's a significant number. And I think that gets people's attention. So yeah, we have a number of states that have already done formularies based on the Ohio and, and Texas uh, results. And so Washington State has a similar model to Ohio. Mm -hmm. You have uh, Oklahoma was the next state to adopt a Texas-like formulary. Tennessee has adopted a, a Texas-like formulary. Arkansas has one coming into place. The rule is done. It's just we're kind of in the implementation stage right now. But by July 1st, their new formula will be in place. And it's a formula that was adopted by their pharmacy school in Arkansas. Wow. So it's, it's, it was initially designed for their public employees' uh, work comp system. But they have now are, are mandating that for the rest of the system. It's a good formulary. It's unique to Arkansas. It's kind of their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, California has adopted the ACOM model, which is also a good model, and that is that started this year, and January early, one, yeah, right? January first. And the early res the early feedback on that is that it's been implemented without difficulty. Um, too early to know what the data will show, but uh, California had already done some fairly significant work on opioids, so it that probably won't be as significant for California on the opioid front, but on some of the other areas where there have been abuses or high costs, I think their formulary is going to really make a difference there for California and should see some significant savings. 
and even safety issues, right? Uh, the formulary, when you think about it, also can prevent bad interactions, oh, those kind of things yes. through management. There's no question about that. I mean, we've, we've learned by sad experience that if you have an opioid and a muscle relaxant prescribed at the same time, that has proven to be a fatal combination in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So the formulary can help, you know, if a doctor is going to prescribe an opioid or a muscle relaxant, the formulary will guide them away from those other medications so that you don't have those potentially harmful interactions. And I think that's the other value of the formulary is it does, from a safety standpoint, help guide that prescribing and making sure that we're not prescribing this medication and that medication, they're actually going to work against each other. Right. Like independently, they would be just fine, but when they're prescribed together, they actually create a, a problem. Mm -hmm. And we want people to be safe and get back to work. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean ultimately, I mean, that's the ultimate end is yeah. how, how do we, I mean, our success in the work comp system is measured by how well we treat an injured worker mm -hmm. and how quickly we return them to the life that they had before they got hurt. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, as you're working with uh, people all across the spectrum, um, what is something that they should be aware of and how should they get involved? Um, what do you normally advise people? Well. So right now, there are some states that are looking at drug formularies that, that we haven't mentioned. So Indiana just passed a law, so there's going to be a rulemaking that will occur in Indiana. Mm -hmm. So if someone's interested in how the drug formulary is going to look in Indiana, they should get involved in that rulemaking process. There will be opportunities for public comment. Mm -hmm. they, they'll usually take both written and uh, verbal testimony. Um, and I think if you're interested in that and you want to weigh in on it, you should. I think you should access the opportunities that the state will provide you to, to weigh in. Right now there's a bill in Pennsylvania that's sort of stalled in the Pennsylvania House that is about a drug formulary. Been a whole lot of politics about that bill. Mm -hmm. Most of the politics isn't based on any kind of reality or fact about what a drug formulary really is. It's really been about politics. If a person is interested in that issue in Pennsylvania, they should weigh in with their Pennsylvania House members because that's where the bill is currently sitting. It's in the Pennsylvania House. It'd be important for people's voice to be heard. I mean, uh, you know, I work with politicians all around the country, and and we have we have we are we have wonderful elected officials that are elected office. I mean, you hear a lot of issues about politicians, but 90% of them are actually really good people who are trying to do the right thing. You don't ever hear about those. You only hear about the 10% that are kind of on the, on the fringe of reality. But the, the really good ones are working hard, but they're not experts in everything. So the only way they can make really good decisions is by getting good information from people that they know and trust. And the way that they do that is they need constituents to weigh in. So if people don't talk to them about concerns or questions or don't talk to them about how they support a particular concept, they're not going to know sometimes the right choice to make. Mm -hmm. So they need more information to help them make the best choice. What's happened in Pennsylvania is there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. It really hasn't been countered by good information, and we're working on that now as an organization. But they need to hear from people out in the system who work in this every day and who have had experience with these formulary models in other states. They need to weigh in and tell their, tell their legislators there, look, we know this works and we know that what's being said about it isn't true and here's why. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another important step. So Massachusetts has a bill, in the governor's uh, opioid omnibus bill, uh, the governor's asked for a work comp formulary to be studied by their the industrial commission there. That's another opportunity to weigh in. Uh, Kentucky has a bill running. It's a pretty comprehensive workers' comp reform bill. In there, there's some directive to the, 
the work comp agency there to implement a drug formulary. Those are all opportunities for people to weigh in and get involved. And I think it's important that people do. I mean, the, the beauty of our political system uh, that I live in every day is that any person has the right and the opportunity to access their elected official to share their opinion and share their concerns. And I think it's important that people do that. I think our government works best when our elected officials are well-informed. And the only way they're going to be well-informed is when people who work in this particular industry or in the system are in there talking to them about how things really work. And, and they need to know that because their experience is limited unless they're in the work comp system themselves. Right. Most of them have no experience with the work comp injury or how that it, it even works right. and how it gets processed or how they get treated. And if they're a business owner, they might know they write a check for a premium. But even sometimes people who run a business don't necessarily know how things happen after a claim happens as far as delivering care to that injured worker. So we need people to weigh in that really understand that. Fantastic. And there's so much out there. It looks like there's a lot of data now that um, the teams and governments can take a look at and uh, make informed decisions. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the really, I think one of the really interesting things, and, and I think Texas kind of set the standard on this from a data collection standpoint. And I think it's what has really kind of propelled data to the forefront in the work comp world is that you can actually use the data to determine whether or not you're getting good results. And I know it seems sort of like, yeah, everybody should know that, but it's, it's not as intuitive as you might think because a lot of states collect data and then do nothing with it. I'm not even sure why they started collecting it, but they thought they should, so they did. But if you take the data that you have and then actually start analyzing it, looking at it and determining what's working, what isn't working, what, where can we improve, and now, if you, if you can kind of look at standardizing your data based on what other states are doing, then you start having comparative data that you can actually look at. And so the interesting thing is a lot of states have gone to an IAIABC standard for data monitoring and data reporting. Well, that becomes a very easy standard then to compare from state to state. So if you have data reporting and you can kind of go along with a national standard, then it makes it a lot more relevant for you if you're in Tennessee to compare yourself to what's happening in Texas or what's happening in California or what's happening in Wyoming or whatever state you want to compare yourself to. If you have a standard data set, then it's easy for you to look at it and say, oh yeah, I can compare myself because I know I'm look really kind of looking at apples to apples instead yeah. of two really standards that don't make sense to compare. And, and if you are collecting data, use it. Don't yeah. just collect it. I mean, there's Put it to work. I mean, that's what you're collecting it for, hopefully, I think, is that you want to look at that data, analyze it, and determine what is this telling me, what can I learn from this, and where can we make improvements in our system? We, as, a, as, a, as an industry, have to constantly be looking for ways to improve how we deliver care to injured workers. The, the healthcare landscape is changing. How we treat patients is changing. Definitely how we treat pain is changing, and there are a lot of emerging alternatives to opioids and other things that we need to be looking at as an industry and the data that we're collecting will help us understand better how to guide ourselves down that pathway going forward. Perfect, perfect. I think um, it, it sounds like it's a whole new frontier when we use data and we have great examples, we're able to make some significant changes. In formulary is a great example. I mean, there's no, this, I mean, and I like the word frontier because we really are I think on the precipice of really making um, 
significant change in how we care for injured workers. I think there are emerging technologies that are going to be very exciting. Um, there are emerging ways to deliver care that are going to be very exciting. I think we're going to take, be able to, with telehealth and other tools that are out there, take some of the very best care available to injured workers who are in remote areas that haven't had access to some of the best care. I think that we're learning more and more about medications and how they can be applied. And I think we're, getting, we're seeing much better results with the medications when a formulary is followed and then the data is bearing that out. And we're getting smarter and smarter all the time. And I think it's an exciting time to be in the industry because so much is changing and there is so much opportunity for innovation to occur. And it's been a long time since we've had some real innovation in workers' comp. Yeah. And we're on, the, that, we're on the cutting edge right now of some new, I think, new innovation that will come because of the needs that are out there and the challenges that we face. And I think it's great to be a part of a, a company I know is leading some innovation, but it's great to see it happening in the industry. It's, it's, we're, we're overdue and it's time. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your leadership there. And thank you all for joining us to talk about formularies and gosh, get into the frontier of what's happening in workers' comp. We appreciate your time and we'll see you soon. This is Shelly Callahan powering down the Empower podcast by Mitchell. Join the conversation and read articles on our website, mitchell.com empower.